0: Can I just I'm... see uh, what it looks like I guess as far as sharing my screen out real quick? So I think I just set up the screen share and if I now you should be able to see slides coming up. Yep.
1: Yep. Well Mr. Puckett, back again.
2: <laughs> yeah no, we are, <laughs> Mr. Barry. <laughs> Long time no see how you doing today. I'm doing well. Good.
1: Go ahead. Yeah, so so my question for you today. Uh, uh-huh. do you DevOps?
2: Do I DevOps? <laughs> is, it, is that like do I, do I? Is that what is that what you're asking? Is do I dab or? Yeah. What yeah. Is <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> so 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 you know I, I know that that's uh, you know something that a lot of customers I work with always immediately think that because yeah. yeah, it has the word Dev in it that it, uh, that it's only applicable to devy things and right. um you know deploying applications and you know that it, we're certainly very good at that and tools we have you know are, are make that very very possible we brought Ralph in today to talk a little bit about how it can be extended uh, across all facets of what customers are doing in the cloud so, so Hi, Ralph, you, Ralph. Uh, yeah welcome
0: thank you both for having me yeah.
2: oh, oh, no thank you <laughs> <laughs> I do to find out how good my dabbing is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Yeah, I think, uh, we've got some really good content hopefully focused around uh, using DevOps on the infrastructure side. So there's a lot focus really of how developers bring uh, their code into Azure using DevOps mindsets and DevOps tools, but how can we also do that, say, from an infrastructure uh, perspective. So hopefully got some cool stuff to share with you guys today.
2: Now, I think sure. that's an interesting point too. You said there's tools and a mindset. And I think you know if if you ask other people what DevOps means, you probably get a thousand different answers. Mm-hmm. It's a unicorn. It's a pink whale. It's this. It's that. Right. Somebody really help us understand between you know DevOps tools and then DevOps mindsets, and and how does a customer bring those together? So I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I know I know you know we had a, a guest on a, a, a while back that talked about you know Kanban boards and kind of how to handle and manage the you know the, the process and and uh, you know there's tooling you know that we have to be able to facilitate that, but I think that what what you and I chatted about, Ralph, uh, you know and, and you know specifically and on being able to help automate and help customers automate uh, you know deployment and and uh, you know provisioning of services and applications regardless of where their application runs, so it doesn't really have to be in the cloud. Uh, it could be in our cloud, another vendor's cloud, or on-prem. So, you know, definitely looking forward to kind of seeing what, what you got to show us.
0: Yep, sounds great. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, again, we're going to be talking around infrastructure automation with Azure DevOps, but I'm happy to dive in on really any of the uh, DevOps concepts, mindsets, and tools uh, as we were just mentioning. So, when we talk about DevOps, one of the main things we're going to be looking at is this idea of a release pipeline. And the idea that I have a set of uh, code or a set of artifacts, something that I've created, and I want to go ahead and push it out into my environment. Uh, hey, Ralph. Challenges- wow. Yes, sir.
2: The, um, so when you're talking through this, was there a specific customer that that had the, a relatable problem to that? Like, you know, were they lost in the DevOps quagmire of, you know, what it was to them and how they were going to kind of get to it?
0: Yeah, I think uh, a lot of folks see the various tools that are available, but uh, kind of wrapping their heads around how to actually configure things, how to set things up and meet their goals. So, uh, you know, when you talk about things from an on-prem world, um, you know, there's a lot of things that in my mind come out now is we'll call them legacy technologies. Mm -hmm. So things like uh, imaging, for example, you know, you're used to building an image for your VMs uh, before you go, go ahead and deploy out into the environment how do we go ahead and change things up though in a code-based approach and what does that look like? Yeah. Um, and that really is going to fit well uh, as we start talking about the infrastructure uh, layouts and how we push out our infrastructure into Azure. Um,
1: it, and I, I think this extends also to customers who, who um, you know, the, there's the, the, the um, you know, analogy I've heard often about treating infrastructure as cattle versus, you know, treating it like a pet. And, you know, oftentimes I've seen, infrastructure, um, you know, resources at customers that tend to think in the mindset of, you know, a data center, I have to build this VM, I have to take care of it, for, you know, for for the, the lifespan of the application. And I think that one of the benefits that some of the automation brings to the table is to be able to just make it, you know, very easy to tear down an environment and rebuild it, you know, when it comes to deploying a new version, you know, updates, patches, and that sort of thing that, that this can help facilitate.
2: And that's yeah. got to be a huge hurdle to get over just in that mindset right yeah. so you talked about that it's like telling somebody that your their pet just turned into a cow is is they kind of look at you with a little bit of weird you know look right and and i don't think i think they get lost in well then how do i make that transition
0: exactly yeah. um, you know it, a lot of it comes down to you know rethinking how we're going to go ahead and deploy applications um and realizing that we don't deploy vms just for the sake of deploying a vm uh, one of my colleagues, Ben Lewis, uh, who I work with uh, on the premier side of things, uh, you know, he, he kind of phrases it of we don't necessarily deploy VMs for VMs' sake anymore. We're mm-hmm. deploying an app, and from a developer's point of view, that VM is just another component of their application. You know, the fact that we're doing all this is code. That VM is just another call to another library to go build something that their app is dependent on. So really, changing the mindset of deploying applications as opposed to well, I need to go deploy these VMs that I'm going to go ahead and configure, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead, the VMs are really just part of that application now.
2: Yep. Okay. That's good. Good point.
0: So uh, you know, this idea of being able to take things through a pipeline, uh, pushing things through, and here we've got something really simple: dev, test, QA, prod. Uh, you know, executing effectively the same or likewise steps from environment to environment. To ensure consistency because that's what, what i've seen a lot with customers is you know i built it in dev and everything worked i built it in test and things still worked i then tried to ship things over the wall over to the qa side and it's a brand new environment brand new hardware brand new configurations and sure enough uh you know if you apply the scientific method to this uh imagine this things don't work all the time you know we uh, we throw things over that wall into qa and Uh, You know, we're working potentially sometimes with a different image, different configurations, different baselines. So we're really trying to focus on getting all of that stuff to the beginning, all the way back at the beginning stage of dev and stating, you have the ability to go against these same configurations, the same tools and agents and so forth. Um, You know, I've I've seen lots of conversations where we think there's maybe a security agent that's causing the problem in production. Hey, uh, security team, can we turn that agent off? Uh, you know, the, the language that comes back to us is usually not so friendly. Um, and we don't, we're not too successful in that. So being able to start by the, one of the phrases you'll hear on the DevOps side is pushing your quality to the left. And if we look at this diagram, that means let's get everything available and uh, usable uh, starting even in our dev stage.
2: You know, I hear a lot of times the infrastructure guys going, you know, I don't have all the pieces, right? I'm still waiting for networking to provide me this or storage to provide me that so that, their engineering tasks seem to be in parallel, like they're building the plane through as it flies through the air, right? If you're telling them now they have to build it on the ground before it ever takes flight, what are kind of the barriers do you see typically in these different IT engineering s- silos that, you know, tend to, you know, supply variables into the build, you know, at, at at a, you know, just in time rather than doing it all up in the front front side sure. of the floor.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. The, the, the silo uh, word was actually uh, the first thing coming to my mind right there. (laughs) You know, you've got these different groups and everybody really kind of has for a long time ownership of various parts of the process or various parts of getting that application online. And we're really uh, providing a lot more capability to the application teams in this sense, to be able to be kind of more in control of their destiny. Um, So, let's say you've got a siloed team, you've got a network team that's gonna go up, go ahead and spin up the networks, for example. You may though allow your app teams to go ahead and be able to manage their own subnets and assignments of IP addresses. And we get into that based off of a code-based deployment because uh, the the code version of this and pushing things via code is really where we're gonna get the ability to control our deployments, ensure that we're meeting certain standards and so forth, and, you know, being able to set up effectively the guardrails from a uh, infrastructure team's perspective to then allow our app teams to kind of function within and be successful.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I, I definitely have, you know, that rings true with customers I work with where they have, you know, the the app team says, I need, you know, n number of servers and, uh, you know, with, with this version of Windows or this version of like a, you know, .NET or Java runtime on it. And, you know, they they toss it over the fence when they're done. Um, and I am seeing that more and more. And actually, I worked with a in an independent software vendor has a product, and their development team just recently, uh, you know, moved to using a feature in Azure called VM scale sets to you know expand and contract their environment. Uh, and their development team actually engineered that, and and uh, you know to it over an entire solution, inclusive of the infrastructure, right, so, right. Uh, and the automation that goes along with with building it.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't see the ops, the, the, say that ops team going away necessarily or not being part of the equation. It's more, I'd say, at a higher level yeah. of setting kind of the guidance and guidelines for the team to be able to operate in. And, you know, if we're giving these teams more capability and those teams being the app teams, that also involves more responsibility. So having them be more part of uh, the actual design and deployment of the application. So, um, you know, it, it's it's going to be different for every customer and every organization of how they handle that. Um, you know what their current teams look like and how you're getting those teams onboarded into this mindset. Um, ultimately, it's going to happen app by app. Every app that kind of goes through the pipeline will, I think, extend these capabilities or push things forward even further. Um, but it's it's definitely an interesting uh, question that we're uh, we're continuing to work on with our customers.
2: I think you just hit on so many challenges, just in the culture and the organizational, right? You said these people aren't going to go away, but I think it's one of the first resistant things that they do psychologically is, oh, I'm, I'm in fear of losing my job, right, or losing control, or being held accountable to something that I can't influence or um, have direct input on. But you're that's exactly the opposite of what you're saying is that not only do these people not go away, but they, they become more integral to the process for a company that is trying to develop faster, deploy faster, deploy more reliably. Um, it's going to create stronger dependencies on these people with these certain types of skills. Exactly. Okay. And, I,
0: and I think for those skill sets, you know, understanding where they can fit into this release pipeline is a huge part of that. Um, you know, you've got, say, an app team that understands the code base and how to build the application, but might not know really, all right, I, I build the code. I really don't know how that fits into networking necessarily. How do I then integrate that into this uh, release and so forth?
1: You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, taking these applications and moving them through, um, or having the developers rather, take these code artifacts and, and, you know, packaging it up with the infrastructure components that are needed to make them work. Um, so you're showing here, you know, moving that through the various phases, such as dev, tests, QA, and prod. Let me walk us through uh, how this works.
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I can give some examples, uh, you know, from how things are working with the customer that I work with right now. Um, it actually even starts before they get into this pipeline. We have this concept of a sandbox environment. And a sandbox environment is effectively a you know isolated subscription that's not peered with any other environments. Uh, we give the app team ownership of that subscription and allow them to f- effectively figure things out. Because as much as we wanna move with this code-based approach and we realize that this is the future, uh, it can be complicated sometimes to uh, get things set up for your first round. So. You know, understanding uh, just getting into Azure and being able to work with resources, figuring out what those resources should be to actually build your application is a huge part of things. And with our customer, you know, we uh, we really focus on trying to get them to use PaaS type roles. So platform as a service before uh, IaaS, uh, infrastructure as a service. Really looking at uh, infrastructure as a service type uh, applications as more of an exception because um, there's a lot of benefits that are going to come from a PaaS standpoint, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. But effectively, we've got this sandbox environment that they can hop into, learn Azure, learn how to deploy their application. If they need to click buttons to start with to figure things out, that's, that's fine. But at the end of that phase, they're going to be bringing their stuff into, uh, in, in this case, Azure DevOps, working with Git repositories, checking their code in. And in this case, we've set up a release pipeline where we can take those pieces of code so after they figured out how to do things by clicking buttons in a gui defining things as code and now developing and pushing that through a pipeline through various stages Um, if we take a look at this first stage here dev we see um there's actually some icons on both sides we have for each stage, pre-approval and post-approval options. So we can control how that code moves through the pipeline. We can do testing along the way and ensure that things look great and we got the proper sign-offs, whether those be uh, technical sign-offs, you know, we ran some tests or we had a human come in and actually give the rubber stamp and say, yes, it's ready to go to the next environment. Um, but when we talk about infrastructure, really, you know. It's it's a, it's an interesting concept because you might your mind might immediately go to infrastructure as a service because it's got the word infrastructure in it so that's where most people went to um, platform as a service PaaS actually has effectively some infrastructure layer that we're also deploying as well so you know whether we're deploying uh, infrastructure as a service deploying VMs to get effectively the basic part of our environment spun up or platform as a service where we're Still having to deploy items into our environment to deploy our code into, both of those fit into this uh, type of pipeline.
1: Okay. So so uh, why don't we dive in? Like, what, what does one of these pipelines look like? Like, What, what can you do with one?
2: Um,
0: so if we, if we were to dive into an actual pipeline, I've got one uh, that we can maybe show a little bit later in the call around... Sure. Um, okay effectively deploying virtual machines, uh, executing code against them, updating configuration files. I've actually got a really neat uh, Linux demo that we're going to take a look at in a little bit.
1: Okay, so just a, a workflow basically. So, yes okay. good.
0: So uh, we've probably all seen slides like this uh, before, this idea of the various cloud models, you know our traditional cloud model where uh, you know we're racking and stacking servers and networking and managing everything. Moving over to the IaaS realm where, uh, you know, we're just really managing from the operating system layer up uh, thanks to virtualization. I just mentioned PaaS, uh, you know, we're really trying to focus to get our customers towards PaaS workloads uh, with the customers I'm focused with because uh, we can see how much less they actually have to manage, right? There's so much more that's actually covered by the the, uh, the PaaS platform. So uh, what we're going to focus on through these demos is going to focus uh, more at the IaaS layer because that's more the challenge of, you know, how do we actually get VMs into this pipeline? Um, I don't want folks to deploy, say, IaaS systems via pipeline, but then RDP into them, uh, you know, remote desktop, and actually make configuration changes and set settings and so forth. Um, That's not really uh, driving us towards the total end goal that we're looking for Um, Because we're going to have a lot of still some of the same challenges we have on-prem with configuration drift, managing settings from one environment to the next. So we really want to get into this mindset of how can we treat IaaS more like we're able to do uh, from a PaaS perspective. A lot of that's going to start with this uh, idea of ARM templates. So if uh, folks have worked with Azure before, uh, they're most likely familiar with ARM templates this idea of uh, declaring how we want our environment to look and not having to define all the steps to actually get there. Um, So we're working with JSON templates, effectively a declarative document and stating, these are the resources and these are the configurations I'd like to see in Azure, go make it so. Um, So we can do that from a VM layer, Uh, but in addition to just deploying the virtual machine, we wanna go ahead and actually configure settings inside that virtual machine. We don't want to, again, build a VM through a pipeline just for a VM's sake, and then have a human uh, come in who you know could be error prone and start making changes. Um, you know, we want all that as code, we want all that checked in, we want all that approved, and all the benefits that come with that. So that leads us into PowerShell DSC. Have you guys worked with DSC before?
1: Yes, I have, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so um, the, the customer I was just talking about that uh, was using VM scale sets as part of the product, uh, DSC was a really powerful capability to configure those machines when they co- when they boot up to have IS installed on it, and then to pull down their application artifacts, deploy, and configure IS to host their application. So it was a, a completely a hands-off. Uh, going back to that, actually the the earlier example about the you know cattle versus pets. Um, you know, those VMs, uh, they didn't really care about them because they could, you know, if something started misbehaving, they could destroy it and it would a new one would come in its place and DSC would configure it to have all the components needed to make their app work.
2: You know, hey, I would take a pause. I think there's one critical component there too that has to be, as part of the consideration is, the application has to be tolerant of such things, right, of now being in a cattle configuration versus a pet, right? You know, there was a little bit of a, you know pets were almost mandated because applications were so brittle or frail uh from and and the coupling was so tight right so you know does do customers find themselves then saying well i can't do this because you know we've got this legacy app that just is is so frail and, and to even think of such things would just you know cause you know time ripples and sure you know all kinds of wonderful things
0: yeah i feel from what i've seen um it's It's going to be harder to fit this into, say, an existing platform. This Mm -hmm. is more for new applications, so kind of the future uh, moving forward.
2: Uh, So more greenfield versus brownfield kind of mentality, huh? Exactly. You know, if I have the ability to go deploy
0: this new application into the environment, what are the new tools and uh, kind of design methods and architectures I should be using? Gotcha. um, I'd love to. Uh, green, so greener
1: or, or, or brownish, because I, I can tell you to the uh,
0: <laughs> that I, you know, the
1: the customer I worked with did actually have you know environments that they um, that they would stand up in perpetuity and just upgrade their application. Uh, so, you know, some applications can be configured to you know deploy all of the configuration elements uh, along with the actual code artifacts, configuring the environment for it to run in, and uh, you know just you know create that. That uh, you know that easy button, if you will.
0: Sure, I'd say uh, you could be say in a uh, brownfield environment at that point, but I would, uh, through my experience, what I've seen is that still really uh, requires some application redesign or say a new deployment to get things going. One of the challenges of say an existing application is. Who knows what's been done to it you know that's the world we normally live in there's been Mm -hmm. lots of different admins that have made lots of different changes and we have drift all over the place um so you know there may be some older applications that can still support this model getting it into a pipeline though um Generally, what I've seen is kind of like a side-by-side migration towards towards those efforts of, you know, how can I bring, say, maybe even that legacy app, if it can support this new framework, how can I push that uh, into this model as well?
2: So you're just saying add fertilizer and it'll get greener is what oh. you're saying. <laughs> yes. Got it. Yeah, I got
0: yeah there you it. go. Okay.
2: Um, but we use DSC a lot on the IaaS
0: standpoint, and I'll step back for a second. Um, Just reiterating that I'd love to see every application kind of go through with my customer as a PaaS-based application Uh, because there's a ton of benefits that come from PaaS. Uh, Again, platform as a service where I'm not managing virtual machines anymore, I'm just providing the code up to Azure and I provide my code in and there's uh, effectively all the platform is taken care of uh, in the background from a Microsoft layer. Um, So all
2: you PaaS PMs who watch our show, you'll be pleasant to hear
0: this. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, from a a customer standpoint, they're trying to do more with less. They don't want to be managing, uh, you know, all all the pets anymore. So PaaS really is a a great way towards that. The challenge with PaaS is it doesn't solve every single situation. Um, especially some of these uh, COTS type applications. Um, You know, if somebody's uh, buying a product and it has an MSI install and so forth, it wants a virtual machine, that doesn't necessarily fit into a PaaS model. Um, But if I'm a custom dev team and I have the ability to go ahead and edit my code base and change how things are working, uh, you know, the leadership is pushing PaaS all the way in that regard. But the the reason why we're talking about DSC now, um, again, PaaS, to me, kind of through the pipeline is an easy conversation. It's more at the IaaS layer when we're trying to talk about virtual machines because they are still necessary in uh, some instances for our applications. How can we still use those VMs, which we'll call a legacy technology at that point, um, but how can we still use them with the new type of technologies like pipelines and releases within uh, inside of Azure DevOps? So. DSC allows us to do end state programming with inside the actual operating system. Uh, Ryan hit on this a little bit, you know, configuration is code, how can we configure Windows? So, uh, configuring Windows features, you can think about um, if we had software to install and we needed IAS set up ahead of time, or we needed certain prereqs, uh, certain features set up on the Windows operating system. Um, but it goes way beyond that. Um, we could do all the way to security baselines, which uh, we'll talk about in our demo in just a little bit. So we can actually apply an entire Microsoft security baseline using DSC. We can install software using DSC. Um, you know we're we're doing every piece of configuration of our virtual machines using uh, PowerShell DSC in our environment. So when we think about that from a local layer, uh, just to give a quick overview, we start with this idea of a PowerShell configuration script. That's our DSC file, where we're stating here's what we want our configuration to look like. And because it's PowerShell, if we have PowerShell existing knowledge, it's uh, you know human human editable and you know easy and friendly to work with. Uh, but once we've defined what our configuration is going to be, it's actually a MOF file that needs to be presented to our system to enact changes. And every system, starting with PowerShell four, has got this thing called an LCM which can ingest small files and using those instructions, go ahead and enact uh, changes onto our system. So we can enact changes using these things called resources in DSC. DSC's got about a dozen of them built into the operating system. So I'd mentioned, you know, being able to go ahead and set up Windows features or uh, editing registry keys or setting services in a certain fashion. Uh, there's a lot of powerful stuff we can do just from those three resources. Um, But that's not really going to take us all the way for full-on configuration of everything we'd ever want within our operating system. Um, So we have this thing called PowerShell Gallery. Uh, DSC is an extensible platform, so we can go get additional modules and bring them into our system to configure things that aren't configurable, say, out of the box. So we've got one here that's called SQL Server DSC if we want to go configure SQL on a system, we now have this extended capability. So it really goes along this mindset of other people have done the hard legwork and have created this module for you, which you can then go ahead and use, uh, You know, standing on the shoulders of their work to uh, you know configure and set using code inside of your
2: systems. Speaking of staying on the shoulders of others, yeah, I think our quick start uh, GitHub section where a lot of these, and you you just pulled it up here, Where people can pull a lot of these, you know, components that have already, you know, uh, slapped together so that they can build, let's say, a SQL always-on availability group, right? Uh, And they don't have to go through and do a lot of that building. Or if you want to go the long way around, I guess you could build your own. But um, I think a lot of times customers get overwhelmed just by the fact, like, I got to do what? And how do I even write that, you know?
0: Right, right. I think uh, what we see out of ARM, and what there's a lot of parallels between ARM and DSC from the declarative nature, from kind of the template nature, and uh, from the idea of I don't need to know how you make it happen. I just get to tell you, I want the following settings. Go make it so. <laughs> um, make
2: it so. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
0: So it's a a really nice capability there. And I've pulled up here the page for uh, the GitHub page for the SQL Server DSC uh, module. So this is a PowerShell module. It's open source, and uh, it's uh, available for anyone to come in and contribute to. So we can see that you can raise, uh, you know, issues here if you're having issues with a particular module. But you can also go ahead and fork the module into your own project and try to merge, uh, you know, changes back into the actual PowerShell module. So really cool stuff, love seeing the work that uh, you know we have at Microsoft from an open source perspective in really enabling anybody uh, to contribute. There's another module that we're gonna take a look at though um, out of the PowerShell gallery. I had mentioned this idea of security baselines and being able to go ahead and convert um, effectively a group policy over into DSC. So we're going to go through a quick demo in just a second, and we're going to see, I'm going to write, I don't know how many lines. I think it was around uh, quite quite a few hundred, maybe even over a thousand lines of DSC um, without actually typing uh, one item into my configuration, which is pretty cool. We've got this module called Baseline Management, and we're going to go ahead and get that installed and take a look at it. Okay, so we're going to take a look and uh, download something called the Microsoft Security Compliance Toolkit. Uh, It's going to go ahead and provide us baselines of how to secure our Windows systems. So if I head over to Bing and I take a search for Microsoft Security Compliance Toolkit, we'll see I'm brought right here to the download page. And in my case, I'm working with Windows Server 2016. So I'm going to go ahead and select that and download this zip file. And this will just take a second to download. It's not too large. And what we'll get here is, once we extract, set of files, GPO backups, reports, and so forth that we would normally do uh, to use in a Active Directory environment to go ahead and set up uh, our security baselines. But What we're going to do instead is actually take a look in this GPOs folder. And because I'm a wizard, I know exactly which one of these GUIDs is uh, the one we need to be taking a look at. It's this uh, 0881. Um, If we were to look into the GP report XML file that's listed here, we're going to see here that this GPO backup is for Windows Server 2016 member server baseline for computer-based settings. So I'm going to go ahead and copy this GPO out. Let's head over to... We got a folder set up for today's demo along with a PowerShell file that's gonna help us convert from that GPO. So this convert from GPO option is using a uh, module called Baseline Management which we just had up a second ago. We're gonna go ahead and find that on the PowerShell gallery as well because we're gonna need that. And we see here, uh, PowerShell makes it super easy for us, uh, the install module command to uh, bring that down to our system. So we can go ahead and copy. And bring that into PowerShell. It'll ask us if we'd like to bring that down from the repository, which we do. Modules installed. So we're going to go ahead um, just to ensure that things are going to work properly for us. We're going to go ahead and restart VS Code after we've got a new module installed. All right, excellent. So I've got my GPO backup. I've got this PS1 file that's going to help me out here. Um, It's given me a little bit of uh, help as far as how to run the command just to make my life a little bit easier. So I'm going to head over to our directory and get this GPO file's location. and I've added this item here called output configuration script. It's one of the parameters that's available for this function that when I go ahead and execute, it will go ahead and create me a DSC configuration. So it's gathering all the group policy data that was in our security baseline and it's outputted a PS1 file for us.
2: Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So, if I now go to output based off my current path that I was in, I just wrote, and let's check about, and we've got some spaces in there, but about 1,400 lines worth of DSC, uh, just like that. Shut up, take my money. Right?
2: (laughs) You see some interesting
0: things here. Um, This audit policy DSC and security policy DSC, those are both add-on modules. They don't come built into the box. But in order to set uh, settings in my environment, things that aren't uh, just registry keys, for example, like my audit settings or uh, my user rights assignment and so forth, we needed uh, extensions to DSC to be able to do that. So this baseline management module automatically goes ahead and downloads those. If we take a look into my program files, Windows PowerShell modules folder, we'll see that not only did I just get baseline management, but I got a registry parser, I got security policy DSC, and I got audit policy DSC. And I'm not gonna bore us by looking through all the settings in here, there's a couple hundred, but we see we're gonna set certain things that were normally done via GPO. Uh, Instead, we're gonna use the registry because that's actually what's getting set by that group policy object. So we see tons of registry keys that are gonna get set on our system. Um, We also have audit settings. So various audit settings that need to be turned on to ensure that we're auditing for various events. We're gonna push those out with DSC. And if we look further, we see even things like security settings and user rights assignments. You know who's able to go ahead and back up files on the system or uh, load drivers and so forth. So um, by doing all this as code, one of the things this enables is, you know, we, we t- tend to run into issues when we look at a pipeline going, say, from dev all the way to production in a typical environment, because maybe AD is different between dev and prod. So we've got different group policies, and how do we keep those in check and so forth? When we abstract all of that out away from Active Directory and instead run things as code, I now have a code-based solution where I can push this out to a domain join machine or a non-domain join machine and it'll work exactly the same. And, you know, can take this uh, across from environment to environment, which is pretty cool. Um, when we think about how that kind of plays into the legacy mindset or uh, traditional mindset, we'll call it, of uh, imaging. So you guys are familiar with like uh, ghost uh, was you know one one of the oh famous yeah tools right from right Old yeah ago.
1: duplicating mm-hmm. uh, machines and
0: yeah. So we we still kind of in many ways do similar type operations when it comes to imaging, right? There's there's newer tools, there's newer ways to do things. Uh, MDT from a Microsoft uh, standpoint is is a really great tool, but this idea of coming in and building an image, which then has to be maintained, which has to be updated, which has to be across different regions, potentially in Azure and so forth. Um, We can get away from all of that by actually moving over to this DSC mindset. So here's one example of something where we would push in security settings. I've mentioned before, we can do things like other configurations, we can do software installs, we can do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, But this idea of moving towards a code-based approach really helps us out uh when we what i'll call kind of the black box scenario so if i've got an image and i've had people logging in and updating or installing software or setting configurations and so forth i only know as much as people can tell me what's been done to that system and how much i can trust them Um, and you know if we're talking about an image that's been around for a while and it's gone through multiple people you know, comparing an image that's being used for dev and comparing that to an image used for prod, um, good luck maintaining consistency <laughs> between the two of those, right? It's, it's uh, got to be- kind of plus, plus it
1: has to be maintained, it has to be yeah. patched. And,
0: exactly, yeah. patching yeah. and all that. Yeah. So what we do actually with our customers, we, we this is just one of the layers that we layer on to our uh, infrastructure as code is this DSC to set security settings but we start with the gallery image that comes out of the Microsoft Azure Gallery. And by doing that, we have an image that's always patched. I don't have to worry what's, you know, as far as maintaining that moving forward. I'm also, by starting with that uh, gallery image, I'm always getting basically a blank slate, you know, right from the ISO, vanilla Windows is my, my base point before I apply any configurations. And if I apply all of my configurations as code, and I'm doing things like working with Git repositories and working with branches and approvals and all that good stuff, um, I know exactly what's gone into the system. I know who did it. I know when they did it. I have full auditing and traceability of every change that's going into my systems, um, which is a huge improvement from what we see, you know, currently um, in most environments today. Um, so what- and,
1: and this is a exactly what, um... What you know, how my customer benefited with the VM scale sets is that they, you know, they they don't have to have, um, you know, VMs. They have to patch and maintain there are No golden images. Uh, you know, they when it comes to monthly patching, they literally uh, delete the VM and and you know, the, there's a, a process we have in Azure's with VM scale sets that you can just say, I want to update on my VM scale sets, which involves deleting them and recreating them in DSC brings them all back up, up to speed with whatever, uh, you know, security and software settings are needed. So, so it's, it's really cool stuff.
0: Right on. So, That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, so how does this extend to, um, or, or uh, you know, to, two pipelines that you are talking about? So, yeah, so yeah.
0: Let's, let's dive into that. Yeah. Um, because we, we got to bring this effectively into ARM now. So we've got a DSC configuration file. We've been able to do, use DSC on-prem for multiple years. We've been able to use it in Azure for multiple years as well. Um, but we need some additional stuff to get things to work with Azure. So I'm gonna hop back here to just this last slide that we have up. And the idea for linking ARM and DSC comes from this idea of a virtual machine extension. So uh, there's a couple things at play here. Um, I need to go ahead and build a DSC configuration. I need to store that DSC configuration somewhere, um, and that can be Azure Storage. It can be something even public like GitHub. Um, I have multiple options for that. Um, with my customer, uh, they prefer you know the, their configurations not be publicly uh, accessible. So we use Azure storage and SAS tokens, uh, effectively having a signature or a key that's required to go ahead and download the files. So uh, what we see here is this virtual machine extension and on line 33, it's actually telling us what type of extension. So we're calling a DSC extension and under the settings sections down from line 36 and below is where we're telling it effectively, what is the PS1 file that's gonna, that it's gonna go ahead and execute What is that configuration name? uh, name? Are there any parameters that we need to pass in to get that configuration to work for us? And we see actually on line 37, this interesting concept, we see a zip file. So uh, working with DSC and Azure in this push-based model where I'm effectively starting with an Azure Gallery image and pushing configurations onto it at deployment time requires that I get my files in a, a zip format. And the zip uh, requirement uh, is there because um, one, it's what that extension takes, but two, uh, it allows us to go ahead and compress everything into one archive, including uh, our configuration, as well as any additional modules that might be needed. So how do I go ahead and target Azure and target a virtual machine and say to it, here, here's your configuration with a bunch of SQL settings, go ahead and set up SQL Server. The system doesn't know how to do that by default so inside my zip file I include that instruction set that configuration telling it what steps to do but then I also include any uh, additional modules that are needed to you know really give it the uh, instructions or the the juice to make it so if you will so a lot of what we're going to be seeing in the next demos is going to be including um, this uh, DSC extension right here All right, so I'm gonna head over and take a look at a lab environment. We'll see, I was doing a deployment uh, earlier earlier today, just before this call, because nothing is like uh, you know proving stuff works by trying it right before the call begins. Um, we've got a deployment that was just kicked off though that deployed um, a brand new lab environment into Azure Force. And this lab environment included um, a domain controller, a management server, and I was actually able to provide um, a integer, so a value just for the number of worker nodes that I wanted created. Uh, really neat, uh, simple example, but showcases a lot of what we've just been talking about. So if I look and pull up my terminal, we should see here that our AD Lab did complete successfully. And we'll take a look at what that VM uh, looks like in just a little bit, or what that environment looks like in just a little bit. But uh, deploying say the VMs that uh, were in that lab, all actually came from this vm.json template. So I've got a template for my virtual machines, and we can see here I've used VS Code to kind of hide to make uh, our sections a little bit easier to consume right now. Um, But ultimately from an ARM template perspective, I'm concerned with the resources section, and I want to know what resources are being deployed into Azure. I can then use other parts of my ARM template like parameters and variables to uh, make things dynamic, but really the resources section is gonna tell me what's going into Azure. And if we look down far enough, we're gonna see uh, one of these items is our virtual machine. So we have a template declaring how the virtual machine should be deployed. And that's really just the base OS and base uh, configuration of that system. You know, What's the username and password? Um, what's the time zone that's gonna get set? What is the VM size and so forth? So that doesn't really take us too far yet. I've just got a VM that's up in Azure. But if we fast forward to our next section, we see here we've got this thing called Microsoft.Resources/deployments, and it's calling another template. In this case, uh, installomsagent.json. So what we're gonna see here is this concept of linked templates. I can actually from a parent ARM template link to other ARM templates. And it's a really cool concept that allows me to uh, have modularity and code reuse. You know, instead of having one big template that defines my entire application, I now have this ability to kind of build building blocks, and then when it's time to build my application, just put those pieces together and uh, you know get my desired outcome. So I've got one here that is install oms.json. And it's using some interesting functions and such, which we can talk about if you guys are interested. Um, yeah. So, so, so,
1: this, so these would be stored in in uh, in DevOps, and then um, you know how I, can that be used as an engine then to kind of orchestrate deploying this? Yes. Yeah. So
0: okay. th- the these link templates uh, actually, in this case, need to be stored up on Azure Storage, but my. Uh, root template that I'm effectively calling and all of this code would be stored as part of my code repository in Azure DevOps. And the deployment of this uh, particular environment could be uh, set up through that pipeline as well. So we'll see that uh, kind of pipeline example in a little bit with the uh, Linux demo. I've got a Linux proxy that we're gonna take a look at in just a little bit. This is more just that say the ARM layer. So not even necessarily having to involve Azure DevOps at this point, just more uh, how crazy cool ARM uh, can get for us because um, again, this idea of building blocks and being able to build modular components that we then tie together, um, we, we can get into some really, really interesting stuff.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to have to, uh, uh, you know the time to necessarily dive dive deeply into all of okay. that. But but um, uh, you know, just I think this kind of gives a good idea. You know, we see the, the templates. This wires up the you know the, the DSC extensions, and then um, you know, the, and then we can use Azure DevOps to facilitate the, the deployment.
0: Sure. Um, let, let's hop directly into Azure DevOps then, and t- sure. uh, we can go right into that proxy example. Then where we will show more on the uh, the pipeline. So I've got a uh, Azure DevOps organization here, um, and I've got a project called Azure CentOS Proxy. And what's interesting here, if I look under repos, Azure DevOps is a really flexible platform. I don't actually see any code here. It's because my code is actually stored up on GitHub. So I've, for this particular demo, decided to uh, you know, be creative and I've got some of my stuff in Azure DevOps as far as my pipeline, but I can actually have code being pulled from a different location. Um, Let's take a look at our pipelines here and see what they're actually doing. So I'm gonna head into releases and I've got uh, multiple releases set up that are, uh, in this case, deploying my server, setting up updates for my server, or when I update the actual configuration uh, of my server, pushing those files up into Azure and actually uh, getting those files set. So I wanna start just kind of at a a conceptual layer. Let's see, I don't have this whiteboard yet, so let's go find that. This wonderful illustration shows us um, how the the, the solution we're gonna be taking a look at with this proxy. And we've got a customer-based solution here where they've got a VM up in Azure, um, but they don't want that VM to directly reach out to the internet. Um, Cause you know, when we deploy our VMs up in Azure, that's, uh, you know, d- default settings do allow outbound internet access. So they wanted to go ahead and block that. And we've done that with a network security group an NSG. Um, and we've set up in this case, a proxy server. So a CentOS Linux server, that's running a squid solution. That's gonna go ahead and be our proxy and allow us actual access out to the internet. Um, I know enough on Linux to be dangerous. Um, I built this server originally for my customer. And then uh, about a year later, a question came to me of, hey, have we actually transitioned the kind of ownership and O&M maintenance of this system uh, to the customer? And I'd said, no, we haven't really had a need. It's been kind of set it and forget it. But knowing that that uh, goal was needed, um, oh man, I don't really remember how to log into the system. I don't remember the username, the settings, where's the file that I had to go set and so forth. you know, let's go ahead and actually bring this into a better mindset with uh, Azure DevOps so that we we don't even have to really worry about that. So I'm gonna go ahead and pull into a uh, server. And this server is that management one system we were just looking at. And right now we've got internet access blocked. It cannot reach out to the internet. So try to go to microsoft.com, but page cannot be displayed. We're gonna come to internet options and change our LAN settings to actually specify that there is a proxy server that will allow it to reach out to the internet. And in this case, I get a version of Microsoft.com. The the proxy clearly is only allowing Microsoft.com addresses. It's not allowing, say, some of the images that might be hosted elsewhere, but we at least see that the internet seems to be functioning in some regard. Um, But what site I'd really like to be able to get to is, say, xbox.com. And right now that's uh, showing up as forbidden, it's not available, and uh, the proxy effectively is not allowing us to get there. Um, We can also try, say, uh, cars.com or ars.com in this case. That's the type of error message that I was actually looking for is this error. Um, The proxy is not uh, allowing us to get there. It's not part of our whitelist. So what we're gonna do is head over into VS Code and I've got a configuration file here. So this configuration file is set up for our release that when I go ahead and I make changes to this code, it automatically gets reflected up in Azure DevOps and pushed out into my environment. We can see here that xbox.com was not an available address. So I'm gonna go ahead and do a little copy and paste, but add in xbox.com. We'll save these changes, and we'll go ahead and commit them to our repo. Once they are committed, we'll go ahead and push those changes up. And we've got this concept of uh, continuous deployment, which, when I go ahead and make changes to my code, it'll go ahead and kick off actions up in Azure DevOps and effectively up in Azure for us. So if I look at my releases, I've got one here that is update proxy config. And We can see here that it's just gone ahead and kicked off. I could dive into that to see where it's at, what stage has been completed. We see that it's just been completed. It's gone ahead and taken our new artifact from GitHub, copied that file over to the VM, moved it in the proper location and restarted our service. So I should be able to come back here, close our browser and try to go to xbox.com and I get a version of xbox.com, similar to what we saw on the Microsoft side, but um, you know, I was able to go ahead and make a configuration change directly to my proxy system, which required me to know where the config file was, how to log in, and so forth. I, as a administrator, didn't have to know any of that. I was able to do all of that from a simple file, checked into my Git repository, and with our triggers, uh, go ahead and push that through. So let's come back and take a look at the release again, just to see how this release is set up. I've just mentioned triggers. If we take a look at our pipeline, we can see here that um, we have multiple stages. We have a dev stage and a prod stage. The uh, dev stage effectively going through, in this case showing us how the VM was deployed. We head back to our pipelines. We had another release there that was the actual updating, which is what we just saw getting executed. And we could see here on our artifact, we have this continuous deployment trigger. And it stated that anytime new code is uh, brought up into our repository, that is effectively a triggering action to go ahead and kick off our tasks, which it just did for us. We saw that it took our new configuration file, brought it over to the VM, brought it into the right location, and restarted the service. Um, All this using some of the tools built into Azure DevOps. So again, I don't need to necessarily know as much about that system anymore, um, or how to log in or holding on to credentials. Um, All of this can get controlled uh, directly from the Azure DevOps pipeline. So some really powerful stuff.
1: Yeah, so thank you, Ralph. You know, this is uh, you know some really good information, like I said. I think that, you know, DSC combined with automation and then, uh, you know, mm-hmm. is, is certainly powerful. But then when you lay that in with Azure DevOps, it um, becomes even a more compelling story when it comes to, you know, configuring, um, you know, infrastructure and, uh, you know, to, to be able to deploy applications. So that's, that's a really cool uh, demo. Yep,
2: awesome. really appreciate you putting the time for it. So thank you yeah. for sharing that with us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, yeah, thank you.